There's a lot to love about this time of year. One of the best parts of this year is the giving and receiving of presents. One of the best things about Christmas, I know you enjoy it, our family enjoys it. In fact, one of my family's Christmas traditions is I try to find out from the kids every year what Claire bought me. And I try to get information from them. The older ones are wise to it, so when I come to them for information, they don't really, they don't really tell me much. Uh, but I thought, well, you know, Connor's three this year. He's a little bit more aware of what's going on. And so I, I caught him after he had just gotten home from the store with his mom. And I said, Connor, I said, did Mommy buy Dad, Daddy some, uh, some Christmas gifts? He went, Yes. I said, what did mommy buy daddy? He said, socks. <laughs> so uh, he gave me the info I was needing. Uh, we, uh, we love getting gifts, and we recognize, don't we, that as we celebrate Jesus, who is the reason for the season, uh, he is a great Savior who gives many great gifts, Right? And perhaps the greatest gift that Jesus gives, because it has implications in our relationship with God, implications for our eternity, and implications for our day-to-day lives. Perhaps the greatest gift that he gives is the gift of peace. The Bible calls him the Prince of Peace. And I want you to think together about that name for Christ and what that name means for you and means for me. So turn with me to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. We will finish our Christmas sermon series titled, His Name Shall Be Called. We'll finish that today. We've been looking at this one verse and four different names given for Jesus in this verse. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Just a reminder, this passage, this book was written 700 years before Jesus Christ actually walked upon the earth in human flesh. And so it's amazing to see the specificity of the prophecies related to Jesus Christ. So if you found your place, would you, if you're physically able, please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. The Bible says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name and we ask that you would draw near by your spirit in this moment as we study your words, that we would understand your word and be moved by you to respond to your word. Lord, I pray that we would leave today different than when we walked in. And we'll thank you for that grace. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. The book of Isaiah is a troubling book in many respects because it is filled with prophecies of impending doom and judgment. God tells his people in this book repeatedly, the nation of Israel, because you have rebelled against me, because you have disobeyed me and worshipped other gods, false gods, I'm going to send devastating judgment. 
So much of the book is dark and heavy as we see these predictions of God's judgment. But every so often in Isaiah, I love it, the, the, the sun breaks through the dark clouds. And we see these pictures of hope. And these pictures of hope center on one whom God would send. They center on the Messiah, who we know is Jesus Christ. And in these different pictures of the Messiah, we see some different aspects of his mission, what he would come to do. For example, we learn in Isaiah 53 that the Messiah would be a redeemer. In verse 6 of that chapter, the Bible says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. In other words, Jesus Christ came to take our punishment for us so we could be forgiven and be saved. And so he came to be a redeemer. But not only did Jesus come to redeem, he also came to reign. And that's what chapter 9 is about. It's about the reign of Christ, how the government would be upon his shoulders, how he would be on the throne of David. And his, his rule, verse 7, would never come to an end. And so Isaiah tells us this one whom God would send would be a forever king. And as the people heard this prediction, this prophecy of one who was coming to reign, they of course wanted to know, well, what kind of king will he be? Verse 6 is the answer to that question. These names tell us what kind of ruler Jesus Christ would be. He'd be a wonderful counselor. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. He's not the Father, but He loves us like a Father. And then this morning, we're going to study that name, Prince of Peace. Sar Shalom. That is that phrase, Prince of Peace. This, this name for Jesus means that His rule will consist of peace. That's what His rule will be about. So, if we encounter the Prince of Peace then we will experience his peace. And we will experience his peace in at least three different ways. First of all, the Prince of Peace gives us peace with God. Peace with God. Romans chapter 5, verse 1, the Bible says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. You say, Wade, why do we need to be told that we have peace with God? Aren't we all God's children? Well, the answer to that question is absolutely not. We're not all God's children. As you read a little bit further in Romans chapter 5, you learn that we, apart from Christ, are enemies of God. Enemies of God. So why, apart from Christ, are we considered his enemies? Because he is holy, he is righteous, he is just, and we have all rebelled against him. We've all done things God's told us not to do. We've all not done things God has told us to do. We have rebelled against a perfectly, infinitely holy God. And that sin, that rebellion, puts a barrier of impurity between us and God. And, and, and in our impurity, in our sin, we can never come into the presence of a holy God. We can never enjoy a relationship with a holy God. In fact, the Bible calls us enemies of God. So if we're enemies of God and we want to have a relationship with him, peace has to be made, right? And that's what the gospel is all about. Jesus Christ was born of the Virgin Mary, fully God, fully man. 
he grew and lived a perfect life. And of his own volition, he went to the cross. And on the cross, he died in your place and in my place. The Bible says he took our sin upon himself. And the punishment that we deserve was poured out upon Christ, who took our punishment for us. So that, listen, if we place our faith in Christ as our Lord and Savior, he applies his death on the cross to our lives and our sin, our impurity, that barrier between us and God is washed away. So, there's no longer a barrier between you and God. It's been forgiven. You can go into God's presence and enjoy a relationship with Him. The Bible calls this relationship with God reconciliation. When you're saved, you go from being an enemy of God to being a friend of God. From being far from God to being a child of God. So apart from Christ, we are enemies of God, but in Christ, we are reconciled to God. Romans 5.10 says this reconciliation happens by the death of his son. And so, in Christ, we have peace with God. We're no longer at a distance. We're no longer his enemies. We are friends. We are sons and daughters. We are in a relationship with him. Peace with God means that we are able to enjoy a relationship with God. The one true God. Picture for a moment that you're, you're in a courtroom. And you've been found guilty of a crime. And you're there before the judge. And the judge is about to pass sentence. He's about to pass condemnation so that you will be punished for your crime. And, and just before he passes sentence, the judge gets up from his bench. And he walks down and embraces you. And says, there's no sentence. There's no condemnation for you. You won't be punished. And as the judge is embracing you, you say, judge, how can that be? How can it be that, that I'm guilty and yet I'm not going to be punished? The judge says, well, my only son took your punishment for you. That's exactly what the gospel is all about. Jesus Christ took our punishment for us on the cross. He died in our place. So now the judge, the holy God, becomes our father. And instead of experiencing his condemnation, we experience in Christ his embrace. Isn't that good news? And so in Christ, the Prince of Peace grants us peace with God. Which is, by the way, your greatest need and my greatest need. Peace with God. Not only that, the Prince of Peace gives us peace with others. Peace with others. Look over in Ephesians. Let me show you how the Prince of Peace manifests his peace in our lives, in our relationships with others. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. Ephesians 2, verse 13. The Bible says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our what? He himself is our what? Peace. Have you turned your Bibles to that verse? You know, I do use the Bible here. So just say, all right, scroll on your phone or all right. It says he himself is our what? Peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. 
by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. What is Paul talking about here? Paul is saying that there is division between, this is first century, between Jews and Gentiles, non-Jews. There was great hatred between many of the Gentiles and many of the Jews. And this hatred manifests itself in many ways. Uh, Jews didn't want to walk into the home of a Gentile, and the Gentile didn't want to walk in the home of a Jew. Sometimes the hatred was so great they would not speak to one another, or they would say wicked things about the other. There was great hatred between Jews and Gentiles, which is a reminder that apart from Christ, listen to me, you and I are prone to look down on others that are not like us. That's just part of what's broken with humanity, that, that we tend to look down on people who are not like us. That's why there's such division and hostility in our world, right? But what does Paul say? Paul says Jesus died on the cross. He shed his blood so that, listen, Jews could be saved and Gentiles could be saved. And when a Jew is saved and a Gentile is saved, guess what? They are now in the same family. They are in the body of Christ. Not only are they reconciled to God, peace with God, they're reconciled to one another. They're on the same team now. They have the same Lord, the same Master, the same Jesus. So not only does Jesus give us peace with God, He gives us peace with others. In Christ, we experience oneness with other redeemed people, people with different languages, different ethnicities, different nationalities, different skin colors. In Christ, if someone is saved, they are our brother or sister. Amen? It's... it's, it's, it's beautiful to see the oneness that God is bringing about between people who come from very different backgrounds. In Christ, we experience that oneness. And guess what? In Christ, we even love our enemies, right? That's what Jesus said in Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 44. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. So only do Christians experience oneness in Christ with people who are very, very different They even are to love those who aren't in the body, who aren't in the family, who aren't saved, who are their enemies. That's what peace looks like. You love people that are different, that are in the body, and you love people that aren't aren't even in the body. You love your enemies. And so Christians who know Jesus ought to be the leaders in extending and living out peace, right? I mean, it's an oxymoron to have a, a, a hostile Christian. That's an oxymoron. That's not how it works. Christians should be filled with peace. Why? Because they have encountered the Prince of Peace. I read an interesting story about a Montana native named Keith Ginther. He died in 2011. But, but Mr. Ginther was a World War II veteran. He fought in the Battle of the Bulge in 1944. And he was one of 23,000 Americans captured uh, or missing by the end of that battle. As a POW, he began a 150-mile march into Germany with other POWs. In one village, Mr. Ginther recalls, 
uh, an American bomber pilot joined their ranks. He had been captured and began to march with the other POWs. Well, the people of uh, Germany were more hostile to the airmen because they blamed the airmen for the continual bombing of their towns and their villages. So if the, the villagers in Germany found an airman, they were, were harsh. And as these POWs began to walk through a, a certain village, the villagers began to get worked up, setting their, their hostile gaze on this airman. Mr. Ginther records that the villagers were starving, exhausted, and angry. And they were so angry at this, this airman, this pilot, that their anger spilled over to the other POWs. And the POWs realized they were in a very dangerous situation. The crowd was being worked up into a frenzy, a mob-type mentality, and, and they knew that they were in danger from these angry, hostile German villagers. Right about that moment, Keith Ginther remembers, one of the American POWs began to sing Silent Night. About halfway through the first verse, they notice the song being sung in German. And as the American POW sang Silent Night and the German villager sang Silent Night, guess what? The hostility ended. And those men were safe. What do we learn from a story like that? We learn that it's hard. Listen, it's hard to focus on Jesus and hate others at the same time. Right? It's hard to focus on Jesus and hate somebody at the same time. And so we need to realize that Jesus is a mighty king and he is the prince of peace. He gives us peace with God and he, he brings peace with others. To where we love and we care and we show people what the love of God looks like. But not only does Jesus as the Prince of Peace give us peace with God and peace with others. Jesus as the Prince of Peace gives us the peace of God. The peace of God. Philippians 4, verse 6 through 7 are wonderful verses. And they're needed verses because they deal with anxiety. And if we're honest, we all deal with anxiety in some way, shape, or form. In, fi in fact, apart from Christ, life weighs us down and leaves us hopeless. Have, have you, have you fi figured it out yet that life is hard? It's tough. And, and listen, life's not just tough for non-Christians, it's tough for Christians too. It's not easy. And so what should we do when we feel the weight of anxiety on our lives? Philippians 4, 6 and 7 says this. Be anxious for nothing, but in all things by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So when you feel anxiety in your life, what do you do? You take that anxiety and you lift it up to God in prayer and say, God, I, I'm worried. I'm anxious. Would you take this off of my life? And verse 7 says, when we do that, we turn our anxieties into prayers, the peace of God, 
which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You see, if you will pray about your, your, anxi- your, your, your anxious thoughts and anxiety, Christ will give you the experience of peace. The peace of God that you can't even describe. It's beyond comprehension, the Bible says. So you and I can experience that peace when anxiety in life weighs us down. And the peace of God comes when we remember, not only to pray when we're anxious, but when we remember that God is victorious. The peace of God comes when the Lord lifts our anxieties, but it also comes when we rejoice in His victory. John 16.33 says this, Jesus talking, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. In other words, Jesus says, if you'll remember I'm victorious, you'll have peace in the midst of hardship. And then, over in Romans 16, 20, the Bible says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. I love that. He's a God of peace, right? How does he give us peace? By crushing our enemy. He's a mighty warrior who crushes our enemy and gives us peace. And so if we remember that there is victory in Jesus, we can experience God's peace in an ever-increasing way. So do you want the peace of God? Remember, when you're anxious, pray. And remember that Jesus Christ is victorious. Amen? I read this quote. I don't know who it came from but it's meant to be funny. But it points out something in all of our lives. The quote says this, All it takes is a spatula lodged in the kitchen drawer in such a way that prevents it from opening to remind me I'm a rage-filled brute. (laughs) And not the happy dad making pancakes as I thought of myself a short time ago. Isn't it interesting how peace can be elusive in our lives? Just like that, something can happen and our peace is vanished, right? Because life happens. Listen, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He did not design you to walk around wringing your hands in worry and anxiety. As the Prince of Peace, He wants you to experience daily, not just peace with God, but the peace of God as He draws near. So here's the point. Christmas is the celebration of a king who came to bring us peace. Christmas is the celebration of a king who came to bring us peace. That's what Christmas is is about. And if you don't get this, you don't get Christmas. We've studied the names of Christ in Isaiah 9, verse 6, and I think Ray Ortland in his commentary sums it up well. He writes, Look at Jesus. As the wonderful counselor, he has the best ideas and strategies. Let's follow him. As the mighty God, he defeats his enemies easily. Let's hide behind him. As the everlasting Father, he loves us endlessly. Let's enjoy him. 
And as the Prince of Peace, He reconciles us while we are still His enemies. Let's welcome His dominion. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. But here's the question. I'm coming real close for a moment. Is He your Prince of Peace? 